Why is it biblical for Christians to resist tyranny? Welcome back to Good Monsters. My name is Cody Lawrence, and uh, I have an interesting episode for you today. This is going to be a little different. Um, this is going to be a brief, concise episode about Christian resistance theory. Uh, I think uh, I've talked a lot about this in many different episodes, but I thought I would give you uh, one concise episode giving all of the arguments, all the best arguments that I think are for Christian civil disobedience and resistance to tyranny, and then respond to what I think are the most prevalent arguments against uh, biblical resistance to tyranny. So I hope this is helpful for you. And the idea is for you to be able to um, share it easily or to return to this episode if you need a refresher on the arguments. Uh, and then if you're unfamiliar with the topic, it hopefully can be a springboard into a deeper study on this. So why is it biblical for Christians to resist authority? Well, first, I think the argument that you'll hear from most Christians is that we should obey authorities under every circumstance unless they force us to sin. And those Christians believe this based on verses like Romans 13, 1 through 7, and then 1 Peter 2, 13 through 25. And they believe that this is a plain reading of the text, but I think they fail right out of the gate because the text does not say unless they make us sin. It doesn't add that to it. We add that part. And I think it's right to add obvious qualifications to verses like this um, because they're needed. And if we add biblical qualifications, rather, we need to make sure that what, what we're saying is biblically consistent because we need to use Scripture to interpret Scripture and we need to be able to put Scripture into the right context to understand it properly. But if it's okay for them to add things to the verse that clearly belong, then why does it seem like those same people limit the meaning of the scripture to just that? So I'm going to argue that there's much more nuance that we need to consider in our submission to authorities and so-called authorities. Uh, and we need to draw a line, which most Christians do, but I believe that most Christians don't draw the line far enough. And especially the Christians who are in the group of evangelical elites and the Christians who follow the group of what you would call evangelical elites. So what I want to do here is give three major arguments. Uh, to me, they're the best arguments. They're not necessarily the best arguments objectively, uh, but they are to me. And then I want to respond to the three, what I consider the most prevalent objections uh, to biblical civil disobedience, biblical resistance to tyranny. And so the three arguments that I'm going to give you uh, for the biblical resistance to tyranny is what I will call the theological argument, the legal argument, and then the historical or traditional argument. And so I'll start with the theological argument. First, we know theologically, biblically, that we need to obey God over men. This is obvious. Um, and 
there are situations, of course, where we should obey men. And, you know, those verses are clear that there at least are some situations where we should obey the authorities that are over us. Um, but to be able to do that properly, we need to understand these three institutions that God gave to us. And the three institutions are the church, the family, and the civil government. And in these three spheres, they all have their individual government responsibilities, uh, limits on that government. And so the church has its own government and the church has its own limits on that government. And some people even believe that there is no overlap whatsoever between the authority of uh, all three spheres, but some people believe that there is at least some overlap. But what is uh, uh, what nobody denies is that the church does not have total power over the family, for example. And the family does not have total power over the government. And the government does not have total power over the church or the family. So there is not a total overlap um, between, between these spheres. There are limits to their responsibilities. And the limits are outlined scripturally. Uh, and then we can disagree on exactly where those limits are. But the fact is that there are limits. The government does not have unlimited power. The church does not have unlimited power. And the family does not have unlimited power either. Uh, the church, however, should, biblically, ideally, be the center of the state. Uh, the church should steer the state. And I think that's where we ought to be attempting to steer our, uh, our cities and our governments. We should want to create a fully Christian nation. We should want Christian cities with Christians in political offices. Uh, and then the family feeds the church. The family flows into the church and the city flows out of the church, if that makes sense. Um, another kind of example of these three spheres and um, overstepping authority is imagine that there is a stranger that walks up to you on the street and he wants you to wear a hat. He has a hat and he says, you have to wear this hat. It's for your own safety, let's say. Uh, you would probably not do it. You would think it's creepy. And the harder that he pushed you to wear this hat, you would want to, and you would probably rightfully resist more uh, the, the harder he pushed you to wear that hat. You might even start to think that something about the hat or this man is dangerous because, of, uh, because he has no business telling you to wear this hat. Um, and I think this is exactly how we should be treating certain commands from governments or certain commands uh, also from churches or from families uh, within each other. Because uh, the government telling us to do certain things is like a stranger on the street telling you to wear a hat. Certain things the government just has absolutely no authority to tell you. God gives authority and there is very real authority that is given to the church, the government, and the family. But they have no God-given right to exceed that authority. If a public official, if a, a governor, let's say, is elected, and the governor has two buttons in front of him, and he says, uh, and it's written down in official documents, that he has the right to press the button on the left as much as he wants to, but he under no circumstances can press the button on the right. He can, if he wants to, disobey that and press the button on the right. 
but that still is illegal of him to do. It's improper. And in the same way, uh, not everything the government does is legal, and not everything the government does is good. And therefore, with these verses, not everything the government does is in the realm of what the government has the authority to do, and therefore we don't have to obey those things. The government also, uh, another really interesting thing to note, is that the government has no ability to give people rights, and the government has no ability to take away rights. And so whenever people's rights are being given or taken away, that's one example of something that we just cannot affirm, that we cannot as Christians adhere to whatsoever. So that's the theological argument. Um, we have a biblical responsibility to resist any kind of overstep of God-given authority. Because if a sphere, if it's the family or if it's the church or if it's the government, any of these spheres of authority, if they are overstepping their God-given authority, then that is them saying that they are God, that they have more authority than what God gave them. And if we affirm that authority, then, then we are affirming their worldview that they're God. And we cannot, as Christians, do that. So the second argument that I'd like to give you is the legal argument. Uh, we must obey legitimate authorities and legitimate laws. But there are many examples of illegitimate authorities and illegitimate laws that we as Christians do not have a biblical responsibility to obey. Uh, so in America, for example, our highest law that governs the government, let's say, is the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution limits the authority of our government. It tells them what they can do and what they can't do. And whenever our government breaks or breaches the, the allowances that the Constitution gives them, then that is illegitimate of them to do. Uh, for example, if our government tried to take our guns, uh, because we, under the Second Amendment to the Constitution, have the right to bear arms, that would be illegal of them to do. And as Christians, uh, we don't really have an option but to disobey. If we have guns, we should resist our guns being taken because the highest law in the land says that we have the right to bear arms, even though a lesser authority is trying to overturn that. However, just to give another example, uh, because the owning of guns is um, arguably an amoral issue, uh, you know, it's not better or worse for, I mean, it is, depending on the situation, it's, it is definitely a good thing to have guns. <laughs> but um, it could also be morally acceptable for a government to um, put more limits on those guns constitutionally with their constitution, even though that's not what our constitution allows. But let's just say that um, if there's a country who places limits on certain kinds of gun ownership, uh, it would be irresponsible and anti-biblical for a Christian to go against those laws and try to amass some kind of armory of weapons uh, in most cases, unless there's horrible, tyrannical leadership happening and, you know, whatever. But uh, that's an example of, of where the, the rules um, could be a little different depending on the country. And so the faithful Christian in our country would resist the taking of guns and a faithful Christian in another country should um, submit 
to the taking of guns because they would be adhering to the highest law. And in our situation, the highest law gives us freedom of religion, it gives us freedom of press, uh, it gives us freedom to bear arms. And when those things are attempted to be taken away by authorities lesser than the Constitution, which is every authority in America, then righteous Christians have to resist those things because we have to submit to the highest law. We don't submit to bureaucrats sitting in overstuffed chairs who think they're God or who think that they are the highest law. We have to submit to the actual righteous, good, highest law. So the third argument is the historical traditional argument. Uh, so Christianity wouldn't exist if the early church interpreted these passages the same way that we do. So a line is drawn, but to say that we need to draw the line where, um, you know, unless they make a sin is irresponsible and it's totally against what Christians did throughout history. Saying that we have to obey uh, unless they're forcing us to sin, I, I agree with that, but we need to draw the line farther because the Christians in the past drew the line farther. Uh, the apostles, for example, they would get in trouble all the time. And then Jesus too, not for teaching alone necessarily, but for the impact that they made, for the number of people that they converted. Early in Acts, it says that um, thousands of people were converted to Christianity. And then the religious authorities got mad and tried to silence the apostles. It wouldn't have been sinful of them necessarily to not convert 5,000 people, but maybe to convert 100 people and keep it a little quieter. So if the apostles were really concerned with submitting to every single ridiculous thing that the authorities wanted to have them submit to, even if it wasn't sinful, um, then Christianity wouldn't really exist. And so we see examples of um, disobedience to authority uh, for things that wouldn't be sinful all the time. In the book of Daniel, for example, Daniel, uh, whenever it was outlawed to pray to anybody but the king, Daniel left his windows open so that people could see him inside his room praying. It wouldn't have been sinful for him to close his windows, but he demonstrated his resistance publicly, uh, and it got him thrown into the lion's den, which God then rescued him from. So next I want to talk about the three biggest objections in my opinion, to this. And the first is the claim that Romans 13, 1 Peter, they're very clear. It just says, uh, submit to the authorities. Um, and typically, that's a very good argument. Whenever scripture is clear, we, we need to not qualify it. We don't need to add things or take away things. We need to follow scripture for exactly what it says. And that's what I believe we're doing. And the irony is that these people already recognize that there is a line that needs to be drawn in this passage when they say, unless they make a sin, right? So they're already drawing a line that's not there. And so they're really hypocritically going against their own objection. But if we read further uh, in Romans 13 and then 1 Peter 3, 13 through 25, uh, I'm not going to read these verses, but you can open up your Bibles and read them yourself. Both passages written by two different authors actually outline what a government is supposed to do. 
A government is supposed to be good. It is supposed to make evil people afraid. It is supposed to reward good and punish evil. But what about when governments don't do that? What about when they reward evil and they punish good? Should we submit to our authorities and not do good but do evil so that we can um, be praised by the government? Absolutely not. And so I think this argument falls apart on multiple levels. The second argument that I think is the most prevalent is in each case of where I believe Christians are required to resist, uh, you will always hear people saying, it's only a fill in the blank. It's only a mask. It's only a vaccine. It's only your freedom. It's only your children. And then it gets bigger and bigger and worse and worse from there. Uh, so we, if we allow any evil, any unrighteousness to go through, if, if we submit to any kind of illegitimate authority, it just allows us to draw the line a little bit farther and farther and farther until we, um, <laughs> until we have an entirely unfaithful government or until we lose our rights completely. And that's not what we want. It's not what God wants in a government. And it's not what God wants in citizens of a government. So every capitulation at all to an illegitimate authority affirms their authority. And to follow illegitimate commands of somebody who thinks themselves God is actually to affirm that they're right. And no matter what it is, no matter how small it is, even if it's so easy to put on a mask, if the government has no right to tell you what to do, don't do it. And to do it is sinful because you are affirming their worldview that they have total control over you. And as Christians, we can't do that. The third argument is that um, disobedience makes us look bad as Christians and it makes us a bad witness. Uh, but their definition, the people who usually say this argument, their definition of bad witness is somebody who isn't palatable for the culture because Christians have to appear as palatable as possible to the culture because we obviously won't be able to spread the gospel um, sufficiently unless the culture loves Christians, loves us, thinks we're awesome, thinks we're hip and trendy and has all the fog machines and the bright lights and the TVs on our stage and unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament and um, post about how Christianity, what is it, um, Christianity doesn't fit neatly into political parties and that kind of thing. But really, when we look at Jesus, Jesus was killed by people who hated him. Uh, Jesus was loved by many, but he was also hated more broadly by the culture. If you look at every single one of the apostles, except for one, they were martyred by people that hated them. And the one who wasn't, he was exiled by people who hated him. And then he died in exile. And all of these were faithful men who were hated by the culture. And so I think what typically the people who give this argument uh, want to do is that they, they simply love man more than they love God. They love the impressions of man and the opinions of man more than they love the opinions of God. Because the truth is, a faithful Christian biblically should not look good to the culture. 
We need to be loving. We need to be kind when appropriate. We need to be harsh when appropriate. And telling people that they need to repent and believe in the gospel or they're going to hell, which is the truth, is not an appealing, palatable thing to the culture. But it's what faithful Christians need to do anyway. Uh, We misunderstand being a witness in our culture broadly, I think. A bad witness is someone who claims to be a Christian who's not faithfully following along with God's word. A faithful Christian submits to, uh, to good rulers and resists evil ones. Christians submitting to tyranny actually are the bad witnesses. And uh, there is no sin or going along with any sin or affirming any sin that makes us good witnesses. Uh, even if it's very small, like, um, well, like things I've already talked about, like the government telling you to um, wear a mask when it's totally unreasonable to. So finally, a really good book to start with to learn more about this subject is called Slaying Leviathan by a guy named Glenn Sunshine. Uh, And if you like this kind of episode, if you like the structure and the form of this episode, and maybe you have ideas for other episodes like this or other subjects that you want me to kind of lay out the arguments of, um, you can send me a message on social media or you can leave a comment on YouTube. All right, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time. Thank <laughs> you.